0: now can you hear me yes thanks here are. Thanks. well it's good to be here and uh, I think I'm going to be here again in January for uh, three or four weeks four weeks I think so it's really nice to see see you all again and especially some of the the young children that were here <laughs> who I cannot recognize now uh, but it's, please, please come on to me and tell me who you are, because I won't recognize you from all those years ago, but the old ones just look the same. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> It's good to be back, and uh, gonna, I just want to look at this chapter that was read to us just now, Isaiah 49, this morning. Uh, in 2013, a couple of academics, um, professors Skeener and Ward, published a, a massive study in which they tried to assess all the, the major figures of human history, ranging from Aristotle to Einstein. Uh, and using mathematical modeling and uh, quantitative analysis, they, they looked at more than a thousand of history's most significant people in all walks of life, in science, in politics, in entertainment, in all areas of human endeavor. And they reached what they called the astonishing, inverted commas, the astonishing conclusion that the most significant person in the history of the world is jesus of nazareth to whom we might want to say "Duh," <laughs> this is 2020 a.d isn't it um, but what are the chances of that just think about that for a moment i mean what are the chances of someone from signet becoming the most significant uh, the most influential figure in the history of the world sorry if there is anybody here from signet it's a long way from hobart um What are the chances of that? Pretty slim, I'd say. Wouldn't you? How about Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That was a a saying in the day, back in the day. It wasn't even on the map in Jesus' day. And yet out of Nazareth has come one who without question is the most significant figure in world history. Now, who would have thought that? Well, Isaiah did (laughs) seven hundred years before it happened. That's why sometimes uh, we call Isaiah the fifth gospel, (laughs) because it's all about Jesus. We we know that from the early chapters, which we're so familiar with at Christmas time, about uh, uh, the the wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace, and and we know from those early chapters. But at the end of Isaiah too, there are these great. servant songs in in chapter 40 in chapter 42 in chapter 50 uh sorry in chapter 42 in chapter 50 in chapter 42 in chapter 49 in chapter 50 and of course the most famous one chapter 53 the suffering servant and and what we're going to look this morning then at at, at one of those servant songs and it's the second of the servant songs in the first song in chapter 42 uh, god tells us to look Behold, he says, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. In the first song, we're we're, we're told to look, behold. But here, the servant himself speaks. Do You notice that there in verse 1. And he says, listen to me. Who's he talking to? Listen to me, he says, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. I mean, that's us, isn't it? It has to be, living as we do at the ends of the earth. I mean, it it doesn't get more distant than Tazzy, does it? Listen to me, the servant says. So that's what I want us to do this morning. That's what happens whenever someone stands up and opens the Bible. Jesus comes and speaks to us, doesn't he? The servant comes and and he says, listen to me. So I hope you're all ears this morning because it's not me speaking. It's Jesus through me as I open the scriptures, speaking to you, Tasmania. (laughs) Sounds a bit like that Crips advert, doesn't it? (laughs) Are you listening, Tasmania? And as we listen, we're going to see three things. We'll see, first of all, who the servant is, and we're given a kind of, in verses 1 to 7, a profile of this servant. So that's the first thing. We'll see the profile of this servant in verses 1 to 7. But then we'll see what he's going to do. And in verses 8 to 13, we're given a sweeping, ever-expanding panoramic view of what this savior is going to accomplish this this servant is going to accomplish and then then finally we're going to see as well here in verses 14 to 16 that we're not going to miss out on this we're given there in those verses a very powerful beautiful promise that uh, that we're involved we're included in this so let's have a look at those three things as a profile of the servant a panorama of what he's going to accomplish and then a promise a a very precious promise for us this morning look 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 with me first of all then at at the profile i mean who is this this mysterious figure the servant of the lord Uh, there is a bit of a mystery about him because it's not entirely clear at first who it is in verse three we're told well he says himself that he's israel but then in, in verse five verse five tells us that he's going to gather israel and bring them back uh, from exile. And we know from chapter 45 of Isaiah uh, that uh, God's going to raise up a pagan king to do that, a man called Cyrus the Persian. In fact, in, in, in Isaiah, I think, chapter 45, Cyrus is actually called Christ. He's called God's anointed. That's what the word Christ means. So God is going to raise up a, a pagan, unbelieving Politician to bring Israel back from Babylon, from exile. So maybe that's who this servant is, Cyrus. A bit disappointing if it was, wouldn't it? It would be, wouldn't it? it was just a politician and a pagan one at that. Thank God for the Christian politicians. There are a few around. (laughs) It's not Cyrus. See, physical... Political restoration is not the solution to the human problem. Isaiah knows that. Voting for Trump isn't going to save the world any more than voting for Biden is going to save the world, or anyone else for that matter. There is no political solution to the moral problem. Governments can, can guide and, and restrain evil and, and legislate, But no government, however good it is, has the power to change the human heart. And so Isaiah sees another figure coming over the horizon of history, a more distant figure than Cyrus, one who is more mysterious and more difficult to identify than the king of Persia. And he's going to come to deliver God's people from their deepest bondage, from their exile from God, from their bondage to sin. From their alienation from God but who is he well let's listen to he's going to tell us he's going to give us his testimony here in verses 1 to 7 he tells us his name in verse 1 look look at verse 1 before I was born the Lord called me from my mother's womb he has spoken my name he said to me verse 3 you're my servant Israel in whom I will display my splendor So what is his name? His name is is Israel. And yet, as we've just said, you know, uh, Israel has failed. I mean, Israel is frequently called the servant of God in in Isaiah, but but Israel's failed. I mean, that's why they're about to be carried off into exile. God had staked his reputation on Israel. They, they were meant to display God's honor, God's glory, God's splendor uh, to the rest of the world. They were meant to show the world what God was like. That was their calling. The nations were meant to come streaming to Israel because they, ha- they, they displayed so powerfully what, what, the character of God. But instead of honoring God's name, Israel has profaned God's name. And his name has become a byword amongst the nations another servant is needed one who will be everything that Israel was supposed to be a light to the Gentiles one who who will actually bring the knowledge of God to the ends of the earth one who will get right what Israel got wrong so that's who this servant is not idolatrous Israel If you want to know what God's like don't look at idolatrous Israel look at idealized Israel if you want to know what God is like don't look at perverted Israel look at perfect Israel if you want to know what God is like look at Jesus he is the radiance of God's glory he is the exact representation of God's being do you remember that in the early chapters of, Genesis, of, uh, of the, the Gospels, rather, of Luke's Gospel, there, there was, a, there was a, a bunch of people called, they were called, I think, the quiet in the land. There was a remnant of faithful, believing Jewish people at the time that Jesus was born. Remember the stories there? Of the, they were looking for the consolation of Israel. That comes from Isaiah chapter 40. They were waiting for the consolation of Israel. They were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem, we're told. Remember them, Simeon? Anna, and God had told uh, Simeon uh, the, that uh, he, the Holy Spirit had shown him that he, he would not die before he sees this happening, before he sees the Lord's Messiah. And when Mary and, and Joseph bring little baby Jesus into the temple and, and Simeon looks down at that little baby and takes him up into his arms and, and praises God, he says, Now I can die in peace, Lord, because mine eyes have seen your salvation. This little baby... As he looks down at that little baby, he says, My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. That's who this little baby is. And the glory of your people Israel. That's who this little baby is in the manger. The glory of Israel. A light for revelation to the nations. The salvation that has long been promised. So he is Israel. Out of Israel have I called my son. Remember? Matthew says that about Jesus. In in the wilderness, he met Satan and he succeeded where Israel failed as he was tempted and tested in the wilderness. Here is the true Israel. Here is the real Israel. Here is the one who is everything that Israel was meant to be. So that's his name. He tells us his name. And then he also, he, as he gives us his testimony, he reflects on his calling. Here is one who has a sense of calling. Here is what, it's a great privilege, isn't it, to know what you're here for. To know what the purpose of your life is. And he says, look at verse 2. He says, Before I was born, he says, the Lord called me. And verse 2, he made, me, he made my mouth like a sharpened sword. What, I, what am I here for? What's my life about? It's to speak. No man ever spoke like this man, they said about him, didn't they? The Lord called me. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. See, Jesus has always been at the center of God's plan to save the world. But there's a kind of deliberate hiddenness about that, isn't there? Until the time was right. He's... This servant, this mysterious servant figure, he's a kind of like a secret agent, hidden away until the, 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 till the right time. And Israel, in the meantime, goes from bad to worse. Yes, they come back from exile, but that doesn't solve anything. They just go back to their old practices, their old habits. They build a temple again, but it's not a patch on the old temple. And they still, they still find themselves uh, choosing bad rulers and getting themselves into all sorts of difficulties in the world. Israel goes from bad to worse and never fulfills its calling. But all the time, you see, you see what this is saying? God has got a sword up his sleeve, if I can put it that way. And, it, and it's his word on the lips of his servant. And that word is powerful. It, it, see what it says? It's a polished arrow, it's, a, it's an Exocet missile homing in on its target. You see him in the book of Revelation, don't you? Riding on that white stallion, that white horse, with a sword coming out of his mouth, which is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. A sharp, double-edged sword, penetrating even to the dividing of soul and spirit. Joints and marrow. Judging the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Are you getting the picture? Can you see who this servant is? Never man spoke like this man and then then something else notice he tells us his name he he talks about his calling and in verses 4 and and 7 he points to his suffering but it's not pointless suffering Do you see that he will be despised and hated by those he comes to serve it says there in verse 7 and then in verse 4 it's going to look for all the world as if he's failed do you see that there in verse 4? It, it, it looked as if he's labored in vain and spent his strength for nothing. I mean, In the eyes of the world, he's going to look like a loser. But, but, but God's going to vindicate him. Peter, Peterson uh, paraphrases it like this in the message. Listen to this. This, this is how he paraphrases these verses. Uh, this is the servant speaking. He says, I've worked for nothing. I've done nothing to show for a life of hard work, nevertheless... I'll let God have the last word I'll let him pronounce his verdict and there it is in verse seven do you see it what is God's verdict Kings will get to their feet and princes will fall on their faces in homage see when the Queen uh, gives her weekly audience to the Prime Minister he remains standing she remains seated monarchs don't stand in the presence of mere mortals if, if you have an audience with a queen, don't expect her to spring out of her s- seat to, to greet you. It's not going to happen. That doesn't happen. But you see what it says here? In the presence of this suffering servant, this one with the sword of God in his mouth, with the word of God on his lips, in the presence of this suffering servant, kings will stand and princes will bow down. Are you, are you getting the picture? Some of you are old enough to remember the old days before smartphones. You know when you uh, you, you, ha- you had these huge cameras around your neck and you went took photographs and then you had to go to the chemist to get your films developed you know, and somebody in a dark room did all sorts of things with chemicals and and eventually weeks later you got your photographs there's no way that you could do anything with them they, they were there you couldn't enhance them or or anything you, you had a little packet and in the packet there would be photographs and also negatives you'd get the negatives along with the photographs you might remember and what we have here, you see, in these servant songs in Isaiah, if you like, are a series of photographic negatives. And if you've ever had that experience of looking at a neg- you can't always make out exactly who's in the picture. But when you place the negative alongside the, the gospel story, then you begin to see who this is, don't you? augustine put it like this he said describing the relationship between the old testament and the new testament he said the old the new is in the old concealed and the old is in the new revealed that's what you have here in isaiah 49 but we're, we're kind of looking at the negative because we're in the old testament but the more you squint your eyes and stare at these verses the clearer the picture becomes and a figure emerges who can only be jesus no one else But it becomes even clearer when when you when you see what he's going to accomplish look with me in in the second place at verses 8 to 13. and uh, we're given here a kind of panoramic view of what jesus is going to do he's going to end the exile verse 8. this is what the lord says to his servant in the time of my favor i'll answer you in the day of salvation i'll help you i'll keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances to say to the captives come out and to those in darkness be free he's going to bring them back from exile but and they did come back from exile but, but what good is that if their hearts are not changed a change of location won't solve anything a change of heart is what's called for a new covenant is what's needed not, not just a return to the land, they needed to return to the Lord, didn't they? And how important that is for us to understand this morning. See, we, we often make the same mistake. They, they thought that their problem, problem was their situation, the circumstances that they were in. They thought that their problem was their situation, but their problem was their sin. They were longing for repatriation. They wanted to get back to Jerusalem. They wanted to get back to Judah. And often we like that. You know, we think, well, if we, we could only move somewhere else, get out of Tassie, you know, go somewhere where nobody knows us, <laughs> go to uni perhaps. And, and, and maybe then when our circumstances change and, and, our, and we, can, we can move to a different place, then life will be easier for us. We often make these mistakes, don't we? They thought they were longing for repatriation, but God is looking for repentance. They thought their problem was their situation, but their problem was their sin. Uh, God is going to raise up Cyrus to bring them back to the land, but who's going to bring them back to the Lord? Cyrus can't do that. Politics can't do that. A pagan king can't do that. Who's going to bring them back to the Lord? only jesus can do that remember how the writer of the hebrews describes it in in hebrews chapter 9 he is the mediator of a new covenant a new covenant is called for there needs to be a totally new arrangement the old covenant isn't working it hasn't worked and he is the mediator of a new covenant the writer of the Hebrews says so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance And how is he going to do that it says there in verses in verse 15 of hebrews chapter 9 that he he's died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant you remember the name that was given him when he was still in his mother's womb jesus call him jesus for he will save his people from their sin so, so there's the first point here Jesus is the servant that Israel needs you see that that's why he tells us in the Gospels that he came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel that's why he never set foot outside of Palestine really hardly he went into the Syrophoenician area but uh, his whole ministry was was confined to Palestine he says I came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel that, that's why the Apostle Paul always went to the Jews first do you ever wonder about that? He always, when he, that was his strategy for evangelizing the Mediterranean. He, he always went to the synagogue first, to the Jews first. And that wasn't just a, a, a strategy that he'd worked out. There's a theological reason for that. Because Jesus is the servant that Israel needs. That's why we should be into Jewish evangelism. You see, there are some Christians who say, well, you you know, uh, you shouldn't evangelize the Jews because they're already God's people. That's a dangerous, dastardly heresy. God's purpose for the Jews is not a return to Palestine. God's purpose for the Jews is that they return to him through his servant Jesus. Jesus is still the servant that Israel needs today. To bring them back from exile, to bring them back into fellowship with the God who called them in the first place and chose them to be His people. But more than that, He's the Savior of the world. I love what it says there in verse six. It's, it's see what it says there. It's too small a thing for you, God says to His servant. God's got bigger plans for Jesus uh, than this. Eugene Peterson again paraphrases, paraphrases it like this. He says, "It's not a big enough job for my servant." Uh, just to recover the tribes of jacob merely to round up the strays of israel i'm setting you up as a light for the nation so that my salvation becomes global and 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 that's what's happening right now of course isn't it through the preaching of the gospel jesus jesus is gathering his people from the four points of the compass look at verse 12 see he says they will come from afar some from the north some from the west some from the region of aswan which is down in the south it's the picture of an international gathering uh, an international multi-ethnic people of god Uh, and just just look on just briefly to verse 19 Uh, there's a lovely picture there in verse 19 and following the the lord promises to multiply his people so that they won't be able to fit into the land even (laughs) do you see that there do you see what it says you'll be too small for your people Uh, the children born during your bereavement will say in your hearing this place is too small for us. Give us more space to live in. Do your kids say that to you? Well, tell them to tidy up their rooms, so and there'd be more space. <laughs> but, did you imagine, but imagine, just for a moment, you're waking up one day to a house full of children, and you don't know where they've come from. I can't remember us giving birth to all this lot, and they're all complaining the house is too small. <laughs> such a lovely picture, isn't it? It's such a marvelous picture of gospel success. I'm a gospel optimist. I don't believe that things are going to dwindle away until when Jesus comes back, there's next to nothing for him to come back for. I believe that he will see of the travail of his soul and be satisfied. I I believe that uh, that the gospel will, will succeed. See, they will come from afar, and sure enough, here we are. All around the world today, people are gathering to Jesus, aren't they? Here we are in Tasmania, of all places. And we've got our part to play in this. Friends, it's it's too small a thing for us just to be concerned with Cornerstone. I I didn't realize that Paul and Fenny's day was today and, and I was so pleased to hear what we heard at the beginning this morning. Because Jesus has told us to make disciples of all nations, hasn't he? And we heard such, so helpfully at the beginning today what that means. How many nations are there in Australia? And I'm not counting all the people who've migrated here. What about all the Aboriginal nations in Australia with all their different languages? It is too small a thing for us here in Cornerstone just to make this church a little bit bigger. That's not what we're here for we're here to reach hobart aren't we you see the whole vision 100 movements that began out of which cornerstone was planted some of you will perhaps don't even have heard of vision 100 vision 100 was not us saying we're going to plant 100 new churches that would have been arrogant and presumptuous it was never us saying we're going to plant 100 new churches not even with all the other denominations and and, and like-minded churches around it was a wake-up call. It, it, it was based on the, you know, the, um, the Sydney Anglican 10% vision thing, that, that it, if, it, to get 10% of the population of Hobart under the sound of the gospel, we would need to plant 100 new churches the size of Cornerstone in Hobart. <laughs> and, and that's just to get 10% of Hobart under the sound of the gospel, do you see? It was never a plan, a strategic plan, as if we could do it. it, it, it this will only happen if God by His Spirit revives the church. But it, it's a wake-up call. See, the, the fields are white unto harvest, the Lord said. Pray the Lord of the harvest to raise up laborers. You see, it's it's too small a thing for us just to be co- concerned with our own little patch. It, it's it's too small a thing for us to keep the gospel to ourselves. Wesley said, the world is my parish. It's very interesting in, in the book of Acts, in chapter 13 of the book of Acts, when Paul and Barnabas come to Pisidian uh, Antioch, they, as, as usual, they go to the Jews first. They go to the synagogue. They, as usual, they have a hard time there, and they're thrown out, basically. And the Jews are onto them about the fact that they're mixing with Gentiles and going to the Gentiles, the, the non-Jews. And, and this is what, how they justified what they were doing. This is what They, they actually quote Isaiah 49. And they quote the words of the servant in Isaiah 49. This is what the Lord has commanded us, they say. And and they quote Isaiah 49. I have made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Do you see the the significance of that? that? The mission of the servant has now become the mission of his church. His mission is our mission. Did you realize that? You and I are on mission with Jesus to reach Hobart. And all the different nationalities here in Hobart, all the different people groups, all the different strata of society where the gospel's not yet gone. That's what we're here for. We're not here to make Cornerstone bigger. We're not here to make the Presbyterian Church more respectable because we've got more congregations. Do you see? We're on mission with Jesus, and his mission is our mission. And, and and what is that mission it is to speak it's to have the sword of the spirit in your mouth it's to speak the word of god in a way that will convict it's to speak god's word unashamedly and it's to suffer as jesus suffered rejected by men despised hated by those who he was trying to serve are we up for that paul and Fanny, they're up for it aren't they they really need our prayers they're going into the pit we need to make sure we've got hold of the rope in the prayer meeting for them don't we and ultimately of course we we need new heavens and a new earth to accommodate all this because that's where the book of Isaiah takes us in its final chapters if you read it through to the end it, it all culminates in the new heavens and the new earth Israel isn't enough to to accommodate what God is going to do through his servant isn't big, palestine isn't big enough for that the whole world isn't big enough we need new we need need new heavens and a new earth don't we and that's where we're going that's what where isaiah is going the very last chapter of isaiah tells us that and it's foreshadowed here in verse 13 do you see shout for joy you heavens rejoice you earth burst into song you mountains for the lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones he he, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and and sorrow and suffering will be no more that's where the bible ends isn't it it's the vision of a new creation not just a new humanity but a new creation that's massive that's massive it's not just your personal salvation it's massive it's cosmic (laughs) but how can we be sure of all this this is the last point We've seen the profile of this servant, the true Israel of God, who succeeds where Israel's failed. We've, we've seen this panoramic extent to what he's going to achieve. But how can we assure that we're going to have a part in that? You see what it says there in verse 14? There's what, such a contrast there in verse 14. Such a dramatic change of mood there, isn't there? See, Heavens and earth, heaven and earth shout for joy in verse 13. Mountains burst into song and... Zion complains the Lord has forsaken me the Lord has forgotten me that's how they felt have you ever ever been tempted to say that I'm sure you have especially in 2020 the year that God forgot that's how it's been described the Lord has forgotten me the Lord has forsaken me have you have you felt like that at times I really want to believe that that I'm one of God's people. I really want to believe that God loves me, but there's all sorts of evidence against it, internally and externally. There's stuff inside me which makes me question how could God possibly have anything to do with the likes of me. Have you ever thought like that? I'm fighting a losing battle with, with the sin that remains in me. Sometimes it's two steps forward and three steps back. Is that what you're going through? I look for fruit in my life. I I look for the fruit of of the Spirit to appear in my life and can't really see it very much. There's a a lack of fruit. My prayers don't seem to be answered. Do Do you feel like that at times? That God's forsaken you? That God's forgotten about you? It makes you wonder, doesn't it? And if he loves me, if I'm one of his people, well, why do I find myself in such threatening circumstances? The Babylonians are coming to sack the city and destroy the temple and carry us off into exile. How can God possibly love us if that's about to happen to us? And who knows what's going to happen to you this week? Who knows what's come into your life in the week that's gone by? Things crop up out of the blue sometimes, don't they? Things that you weren't expecting circumstances change during 2020 people have lost their jobs people have lost loved ones and, and satan comes and whispers into your ear, the lord has forsaken you. you may as well give up on him the lord has forgotten you forgotten all about you but you see what god's answer is to that look at verse 15 beautiful words powerful words Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Here's the motherliness of God, God the Father. Speaking like a mother. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. In 2012, David Cameron, the British Prime Minister, went for Sunday lunch with his wife and kids to a country pub. And when they got home, they realized that they left one of their daughters behind at the pub. (laughs) And so David Cameron, uh, it became a national joke. It hit the headlines, of course. David Cameron will be remembered for two things now, Brexit and the prime minister who left his daughter in the pub, his baby daughter. It can happen. It happened in St. John's when I was the minister at St. John's. It happened. I won't tell you which family, because you (laughs) recognize them immediately. can't see them at the moment (laughs) but a a couple of times I had a phone call when I got home from Sunday uh, after the Sunday morning service saying I think we've left one of our children in 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 one of the pews and sure enough there they were lying down fast asleep in one of those box pews in St. John's it can happen it does happen I mean parents don't normally forget their children but it it does happen in more tragic circumstances My, my, my mother suffered from dementia in her final years and, and we always sort of struggle with, well, should we go and see her? Um, if we go and see her, will she will she actually even know who we are? Will she recognize me, her son? It can happen. Sometimes a desperate mother abandons her newborn child in, a air, in an airport. We saw that happen just a few weeks ago, didn't we? Marriages break down and... And parents separate and the children feel forsaken. Maybe you come from a home like that. Maybe you know what that feels like. To to feel forsaken. But God says, I'm not going to forsake you. This is the most repeated uh, promise in the Bible, really. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. But how can we be sure of that? Look at verse 16. See, he says... I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. What does that mean? Sometimes we kind of sentimentalize it, don't we? As, as if God has sort of carved your name into the trunk of a tree in the shape of a heart with an arrow going through it. It's Lovely. Lovely. But there's nothing lovely about this. Literally, this means engraved with a hammer and chisel. Not even a tattoo is more than that. Painful as a tattoo might be. This is horrendous isn't it why would anyone do that why would anyone take a hammer and allow them to drive a spike into the palm of your hands see when Isaiah wrote this it was it was a metaphor it was a picture of God's determination to remember his people but that picture has now become a reality hasn't it because Jesus who is God in the flesh bears in the palms of his hands the marks of Of the cross why why would he do that why would he allow his own creation to do that to him to drive those nails through the palms of his hands. was it the nails that held him there upon that cursed tree no it was his love his everlasting love his love for you and me isn't that right so there's the answer to your fears and your frustrations, to your doubts and your despondency. The cross. Forget about your feelings. Don't x-ray your soul. <laughs> Look away from yourself. To the cross. There's the answer. That's where you get it, got the assurance that God is not... For- See, he was forsaken. Jesus was forsaken on that cross so that you may never be forsaken. And that would... You know what uh, Jesus did for for doubting Thomas, remember? Thomas thought he'd missed out. He came too late. Uh, Jesus, the resurrected Christ, had appeared to the other disciples, but Thomas wasn't there. He must have been kicking himself. And And then Jesus comes again into that other room, and Thomas is there this time. And remember what Jesus says to Thomas? Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. that's god's word to you that's the servant's word to you cornerstone this morning stop doubting and believe there's a sense in which every time we sit down at the lord's table this happens every time we sit around the lord's table jesus comes to us it's his table and he comes to us by his spirit at the table as he did to thomas in the upper room and he says to us in the bread and in the wine put your finger here see my hands reach out your hand put it in my side stop doubting and believe do you think i've forgotten you how can i forget you when by my agony and bloody sweat i have reconciled you to god your names from the palms of my hands eternity will not erase impressed on my heart they remain in marks of indelible grace what assurance there is in that isn't there? so are you listening Jesus is speaking to you now. Listen. Listen to me, you islands, he says. Are you listening? Tasmania? Hear this, you distant nations. Do you hear it, Australia? Jesus, the servant of the Lord, is speaking, and he's calling us back to himself, back to where we belong, back from the far country into the arms of a loving Savior. And can you hear what he's saying to you, Cornerstone, this morning? Listen, he says. He wants to restore us to be the people we were always meant to be. Not Presbyterians, that's just an accident of history. (laughs) A missionary people. A people on mission with Jesus. A people who will display his splendor. And will live such lives together in community that the watching world will want to come in amongst us. And who will spread the knowledge of god to the ends of the earth let's pray our heavenly father we bow before you we thank you for jesus he is the servant that israel needs he is the savior that this world needs we know what it is to try and find something or anything other than you as our ultimate comfort our ultimate security our ultimate identity our ultimate satisfaction what foolishness only in you Lord were we meant to rest and flourish and have peace and well-being Lord teach us to recognize the danger of substituting an idol for the living God a creature for the Creator our only true source of satisfaction for something that can never satisfy us and then point us O Lord to the servant the Savior Jesus in whom alone we can find true blessing and satisfaction and send us out into the world in his name with his word upon our lips. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.